sides. One step. So, with medium format film, you've also got to just do this little, just a little cut there, and that'll get this off. And mm -hmm. so now you can actually unroll that. Okay. I should probably remember to do that. But. So we like proofing in. Usually hang two bathroom towels over the door. <laughs> Table gets put here, and again, the the bathroom's kind of light proofed, and yeah. there's a running tap behind the um, behind the mirrors over there. This is Sonic Landscapes, small stories of Australian places and spaces. I'm Maddie Stutchberry. So I bought a second-hand 35mm camera on eBay this year. It's an old Olympus OM-2N from the 1980s. If this doesn't mean anything to you, don't worry. I have no idea if it's a good model, a good camera, a good idea. My camera arrived in a big brown box filled with lime green coloured packing peanuts. Its metallic weight in my hand made me lose confidence in myself in my manic online purchase using my boyfriend's eBay account. Using a film camera in 2018 is kind of like using a skateboard or surfing. You want to appear effortless, like you know what you're doing. Smooth, cool. See, if you're going to commit to the gear, the time, the work, you want to look good doing it. Film must be kept in the fridge to stop it perishing. You have to pop open the back of the camera, load the film in manually, then you slowly wind it onto the spool inside. Each time I snap my camera closed, take that first tentative shot, I never feel like I've done things right, like I'm wasting each frame. I've always loved film and the kind of texture of film and the, the fragility and the sense of timelessness that yeah. comes with film. I meet a young photographer who is very good at using her camera, Bella Johnson. She's casual, natural. I always find that when I, when I pull out a, a digital camera, there's this invisible barrier that gets put up sometimes. Her hands nurse a cup of coffee as she continues the home tour. The shelf above the fireplace is lined with metallic bodies, film cameras, collected and gifted. Her choice is a Pentax K1000. For me, film is just a, I don't know, kind of like an extension of my arm. It doesn't really, you know, I don't really notice it there. And it, a lot of friends that I used to take photos of were the same. They just, you wouldn't bat an eye when you, when you bring it up. Her works are mainly self-portraits. Her practice first started around the same time she was diagnosed with endometriosis. What is the beginning? The beginning. Um, I think it was me sitting in bed a lot of the time, looking at TV screens and reading mostly science books. Um, have this weird kind of fascination with the universe. Kind of taking self-portraits um, just as a reflection of what you're feeling and mm. put it out to Instagram and some people kind of know what you're going through but other people just see it as the, the surface kind of thing, which I think is what endometriosis is as well. It's kind of there. But I think it's interesting because I think it's a very... It's hard to describe. It's almost like a feeling. And you're like, this is... Um, you know, whether it's this, it's it's pain or it's sadness or whatever it is, it's this... I don't know, compulsion just to do it. Not that it, not with the expectation that it goes anywhere. It might just sit there. But I think it's the the process of it being done was a really. I mean, I spent most of most of the time by myself in a room, so it was kind of the process that was. You know, you get your camera out and you take a photo, and then it, yeah, kind of these really quiet, intimate moments.
She has a dark room set up in the bathroom of her Footscray home. home. Dark room? Run me through it because I haven't been into a dark room since I... Yeah. When she flicks the light on in the bathroom, it turns the fan on too. The room is a brilliant white. It hums. Under a shelf with contact lens solution and toothpaste are old canola oil bottles. They're filled with development fluid. It takes two folded up towels to completely block the light, she tells Two bathroom me. towels over the door. <laughs> Table gets put here and again the, the bathroom's kind of light proofed. Yep. You pull the film out. How do you, mm -hmm. how do you develop? So you, you go into the toilet, <laughs> you sit there with the, um, the spools and the developing tank and you, um, so you have to cut off your film and then you load your film onto the spools, um, which can be fiddly but amazing. Um, and then once it's on the spool, you put it into the developing tank and shut mm -hmm. the lid and then you can bring it out and then it can be, yeah. It must be exciting. I think it's pretty magic. Like it's, I mean, you've done it all yourself, the other thing, which is a super kind of, I guess, proud moment. You, you know, you've created this thing from nothing and yeah, yeah it's pretty, pretty great. Bella's eager to show me something before I go. She asks me, can you stay a moment? From under a pile of books and three jars filled with feathers, she pulls out this blue metal case. She asks me, do you remember when NASA digitised their photographs? In the box are square white cards with a film centre. Old fashioned slides. I take one between my fingers, hold it to the light. The caption on the slide reads, the earth, a view from space. In my hands I hold a view from heaven. It's like holding a piece of the sky in my hand. It struck me. I'm down here fiddling with the shutter of my clunky camera. But Bella, Bella's looking to the stars. to Kensington on a Tuesday afternoon. It's early June, the kind of day where the night creeps in early. I'm not wearing socks, just stupid slipper shoes that are definitely too cold for the weather. I'm here to meet Gus Scott, photographer working at the Fox Dark Room. Hi. Yes, Gus. Hi, Gus. Nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you. Thanks so much for inviting me over. No worries. This is so exciting. What a big space this is. How long has the, the Dark Room been here for? Uh, Darkroom's been here for four years, yeah. um, and that's our gallery in there as well. And oh, that's okay. He works alongside Tom Goldner, um, the man behind the darkroom and gallery space. Can I come on? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. So, yeah. who, Tom, you're sort of the, the brains behind. Well, I don't know if brains is what you'd want to find um, <laughs> a darkroom, but yeah, like I started Enthusiasm. four years ago. We didn't start this place out of uh, recognizing that there was a trend or anything. It was kind of quite selfish in the way that um, I was just trying to build a, a dark room for myself but it just turned out that there's a lot of other people that are um, you know wanting to do this and yeah I mean what do you reckon Gus I reckon there's been a it's been yeah. constant it's interesting because like most of our membership base are people who have been doing it for a long for a long period of time mm. especially when it comes to like dark room printing and like more 
really like some serious working with like large format cameras and printing in the darkroom. I think a lot of people um, are doing it more so because it does offer something the digital can't rather than something that is like necessarily just that sort of throwback and nostalgia that you see in a lot of, um, you know, the Instagram, like keep film alive kind of posts. Mm. Um, whilst we definitely do, um, we definitely do have some members that sort of like, uh, are into it for the nostalgia and stuff. And I mean, like I say, everybody's kind of in it for the nostalgia in a way, but, uh, yeah, it's, definitely sort of geared more towards or we're geared more towards the more so like serious stuff that digital just can't offer yeah, yeah. I mean it, it definitely is it, like I really just got into film mm-hmm. and what about you what about you shooting good question I mean I think I just wanted a m- bit more of an artistic way of shooting photos and I just like the aesthetic of it yeah, yeah like definitely. film has a, a look that I liked so Absolutely. yeah I kind of wanted and like I've had an old Polaroid and then like an Instax for a while and mm. I liked the the tangible nature of film but then I wanted a bit more control yeah so I'm just dipping my toes into the water and well there, I think for so many um, people that kind of start shooting film it um, well for a lot of people it sort of starts just with the camera mm. interesting like what you just said like it's a, you know, the Polaroid instant gratification you know it's like right there and then from there, the next step is people that, um, you know, want to start developing their own films, um, which inevitably leads to scanning. Um, but then, like, the, I guess the final frontier is, like, sort of actually getting in the darkroom and, um, you know, then putting it to print. Um, there's definitely, like, stuff that happens, uh, you know, there's a lot that can happen even after, like, the darkroom printing stage. But for me, like, that sort of, you know, the the work that goes in before you shoot right through to like actually producing that final print that sort of like encapsulates what photography is not just clicking the button. Let's do this. So, this is yes. our super weird Doctor Who door. Oh my gosh. So you rotate it like this. block out light yeah that's to block out all the light so obviously this whole room has to be completely light sealed mm-hmm. um, especially for doing things like loading film yeah it just needs to be completely dark very good yeah all right do you want should we get started or yeah let's do it let's develop some film as you sit in the dark for a for an extended period of time you start to go like hey how's it any crack of light coming through the corner of that wall like just hypersensitive yeah it becomes yeah you're, you really sort of like brighten up to it so this is basically like the setup mm-hmm. we've got this spool here that's what we're going to put our film onto um this is the tank that it's eventually going to go into we've got this cone once this cone's on there now it's light sealed Okay. So now we can pour our developer in, we can pour it out, same with our stop and our fixer and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so that's how it goes. So I'll turn off the light and mm-hmm. make sure that this is nowhere near so I don't get confused. In the consuming blackness um, of the dark room, Gus and I stand elbow yeah, to elbow. Right our voices connect us as our eyes fail. In a dark room, pitch black is essential. I have to shove my audio recorder down the sleeve of my sweater. I rely only on my headphones and my gut. I hear Gus winding the film onto the spools. They are then sealed in lightproof containers waiting for chemicals. Chemicals splash as he tells me about his childhood in the Blue Mountains, 
The film he is developing was shot on the weekend. Images of his father. I moved from the Blue Mountains. I first, I think I developed my film for the first time, my own film for the first time when I was about 13 years old. Um, it, was, it was like around that, anyway, there was this like really cool, it's actually basically like a setup like this, um, back in Sydney, where Sydney University had this like little um, sort of day course in developing film. And I went and did that when I was quite young because my folks are amazing people and I think they could tell pretty quickly, pretty early on in my life that, you know, this was sort of something that I was really into and something yeah. we really need to foster. So this here is our timer. So I've got that set to nine minutes and 30 seconds because mm -hmm. that's how long it will take for the Delta 400. Mm -hmm. Then when that gets to two, like when that gets to 7.30, mm -hmm. that's when I'll pour in for the HP5. Uh -huh. So, so they'll both finish at the same time. Yeah, so that's like staggering your development. So they'll both finish at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you can do that with as much, with like as many... Um, sort of films and times as you like. So this is our first step and this is agitation. Mm -hmm. um, basically what we're doing here is we're just moving the developer around the film. We're making sure that every bit of the film gets hit with fresh developer. Um, as the developer like sits up against the film it uh, gets exhausted so um, all the sort of developing power of that little pocket will um, sort of eventually wear out and so what you want to do is constantly be moving that around so that you can get new developer on parts of the film mm -hmm. which may have already like exhausted their other parts of the developer developing that HB5 as well mm -hmm. That's all the agitation for the Delta, and now I'll just continue agitating the HP5 for another 50 seconds. Does a day go quick and slow for you? Because you're constantly watching the time, but you know yeah. I mean? yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, I love what I do. I love doing this, so um, a whole day of developing film for me is, like, it's a good day. I thoroughly enjoy it. I don't know why I'm... I don't know, I think I'm a bit of a short attention span kind of person, but I can do this. Is that already recording? Yep, good to okay. go. Uh, my name is Samuel Raji. I primarily used to do all the social media and stuff here from Lubai, mailing lists. I've also done a lot of like contribution to like systems that the lab uses and stuff like that. So initially my creative outlet was music primarily. And What'd you play? Would you write music or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was playing guitar and like doing vocals. I also like co-founded like a small label in Jakarta of like small Indonesian okay. hardcore bands uh, so I was doing that and then I got a camera just to document that and like eventually just music and photography just became like indistinguishable. Hi I'm 
Maddie. Hi, Jed. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. What's your full name? Jed Rand. And yep. now are you... So what's your position here? Oh, I run the photo lab. I got into like making videos and stuff, skating, and then I kind of ditched that and got into photography. So my main start was like doing a whole bunch of like skate photography and stuff like that. So many people I've spoken to have started in like skate mm. photography or yeah. something, or surfing or mm. something like that. And, <laughs> yeah. then... and then I moved to Canada. I was like extremely poor and I sold like all my camera gear. I had nothing. Like, I had video cameras and a couple of DSLRs, a whole bunch of Nikon lenses and like literally sold everything, not even to like a, to a person. I literally just, just pawned it off it. for like yeah. 300 bucks because I was like, could not eat. That's really I, I got to I got to eat for like two weeks, which is good. Was over it for a while. And then I, when I got back to Australia, I was just like, oh yeah, cool. Like I want to get another camera, but I was still dirt poor because I just mm. got back and I had no money. My mates just give me this OM10. He's like, yeah, just play around with this because he didn't use it. Mm. So started messing around with that. And yeah, I was like, wow, this is pretty good. Like, and then I just bought, I bought a Nikon F3. I saved like, all my money and bought that. And then just started shooting on that. Because I had, I think I had like one or two Nikon lenses left. Yeah. Mm. So I just like bought a Nikon F3 body. And obviously you've, you've had experience with like digital and, and film. Yeah. Yeah. But exactly. you've, you've gone to film. What, like why? What was the appeal for you? <laughs> or is it hard to articulate? Well, it was weird. When I bought that film camera, I literally just bought that Nikon F3 just because I wanted a film body. Because I'd never actually previously owned one when I was way, when I was a kid, right? Um, but I never really had like a decent SLR film body and that was also my first one and then I was I was saving up to get a, like an X-Pro Fuji oh, so yeah. I wanted I didn't really want to stay in the film like sort of realm of the things like but I kept on saving money to buy this X-Pro body right and then I just kept on buying film bodies <laughs> it's still it's still it's still yeah, happening it's still happening so like i'm like oh yeah I'll, like, i've got enough money to buy this like x-pro body and a lens and then like oh no i want to contact g2 now and then it's just like oh now and then i still kept on going and like oh, i would save up again and then buy another digital body and then it like film cameras just kept on getting in the way what do you think are essential tools or facilities that an amateur film photographer needs to have access to a lab <laughs> yeah well like, a cheap photo if lab if you like if if you want to do it on a budget yeah find a cheap photo lab and yeah maybe invest in a scanner mm -hmm. maybe like if you can get really good domestic scanners like flatbeds are good because they can do you know not the greatest but they're good for around the house because you can do 35 you can do 120 you can do any format really so if you want to start to branch off into other formats you've got that one scanner that'll sort of do mm. everything mm. But, you know, if you're dealing with lab stuff, you really need specific scanners for mm. specific things. Because you need to scan X number of rolls in X amount of hours. Like. Yeah, yeah, you need high quality, fast, and you mm. just, yeah, you need all that. But mm. you can, if you're just an amateur, like, I think if you invest in a flatbed scanner, if you, you can get a decent one for, like... like Epson or a Canon. Yeah, for, yeah. like, three, four hundred bucks. And that's just an, is that a film-specific scanner? Uh, or so, it it's one of those things you can open with yeah. a flat thing. There's obviously an expense, but buying second-hand film cameras is not too expensive in the grand scheme of things like because you can always buy it and then sell it like they probably well, for a profit in, in my instance, yeah. like, i've been buying film bodies for like years now and it's just like the ones i want to sell the way the market's going i've made a lot of money because like you, you wait a year and that camera it was you bought it for like 200 dollars. it's now worth like five six hundred dollars it's not just cameras either. It's like scanning equipment. It's anything film related. It's just mm, the price is ballooning. Let's even just say like the last 18 months or so, two years. Has it, in your experience from foot traffic and, and just 
from your community like are you noticing that this is a booming oh 100 percent yeah like it's, why do you reckon it's ridiculous i don't know i just think it's like especially in melbourne i wouldn't couldn't really mm. talk much about anywhere else like when yeah. i was living in canada like no one would shoot film like it's no. not accessible but melbourne's really accessible and especially with the space we've got like scanning membership and you know cheap developing and stuff like that and have that community space it's like it's really easy for people to shoot film and it actually makes it you know, like, hey, like, this is actually not that hard or not that expensive because of mm. what we have here in Melbourne. But mm. if you were living in Northern Australia or another part of the world, mm. like, you know, some parts of the US or Canada or whatever, there's not really many places you can go and do that. Mm. Or it, if you do want to shoot film, it costs you an arm and a leg because you've got to go to that one guy mm. who charges heaps because no one else is doing it. Mm. So it's just lucky we live, like, in Melbourne. Yeah. But I think what's happening in Melbourne is slowly going to happen around the world as well. Like, yeah. It's just kind of ground zero for this. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. listening to Sonic Landscapes, small stories of Australian places and spaces.